Scarlettos, we are back to uh, talk about our next true crime episode, and I am so excited about this episode because this is about one of my favorite um, musicians and singers uh, of all time, and I say that because I absolutely think that his music is fantastic. I um, he's you know he has been a part of some very important um, you know music in the past and he was really in my opinion what I my note about this person um, is that he was the Funketeer innovator and I know that there are other people who could probably get that as um, sort of recognition as well say Bootsy Collins or or maybe Prince but I think that Rick James was the forerunner in the uh, Funketeer innovation department Um, you know he had some incredibly popular music in the past so but at Brittany, as we will talk about, he also had some uh, some issues, we will say, and um, he has some, um, you know, true crime in his past. He was convicted uh, a couple of times of some serious crimes, in my opinion, that I don't want us to uh, gloss over nor um, sort of dismiss. So we're going to chat a little bit about what the, about those crimes. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about Rick James and his history, because I think the beginning of his life is really interesting, and he knew a lot of interesting people. So, you know, without further ado, Rick James, i.e. James Ambrose Johnson Jr., was born February uh, 1st, 1948, better known by his stage name as Rick James. Rick James? <laughs> Brittany, how do you know well, Rick? How do you know Rick, Rick James? Because I well, I lived through I, the the time when he was his music was really important. So you probably heard it after. Well, yes. So uh, I know Rick James based off of really one song. She's a very kinky girl. Oh my gosh! The kind you don't take home to mother. Well, there's another song that you will probably remember that he did, and that was Give It To Me Baby, which is another one of my favorite songs. I know. I do know that one, too. But I know him for uh, for the first one. Yeah, I know for Super Freak, uh, and then I also know, and we'll talk about this later. We also know, or I also know him from Chappelle's Show, and it's funny because I didn't even watch Chappelle's Show, but it was so iconic when he was featured on there, and Dave Chappelle's apparently spot-on characterization of him, and his famous catchphrase, "I'm Rick James, bitch," which uh, I think is consistent with him throughout his life he um you know is no longer living but he as i said he was born in 1948 in buffalo new york and he began his musical career pretty early um in his teenage years he really felt like that he was um you know he had a gift he and he did have a gift that's true but before he started before he got into music his 
ventures into criminal life started as early as age nine. Yes, and a lot of that was because his mother was a numbers runner, actually, for the right. mob in New York. Exactly. So he witnessed a lot of different things, um, and, you know, this was... Uh, I mean, hey, I, I get to give it to her. You know, she's raising kids. She's going to do whatever she needs to do. But for exactly. him, this this modeled his, his life a bit and certainly set him on a path. Now, I think he spent a lot of his time, you know, a lot of his life, you know, not committing criminal acts. Certainly he did some important things. Well, but, you know, I think that he may have made some choices throughout his life that um, were affected by that early modeling. Not to, he, not to be all proper about it, but, you know, he saw some well, things happening and he was like, ah, you know, his – his moral character may have been in question, let's just say. Well, sure. and But I have to say, I was surprised how much he was, how how many criminal acts he really was involved in. I didn't know much about them. I knew a lot about the drugs, but I didn't know about the criminal acts. Uh, because, yeah, so not only was his mother involved in running the numbers, uh, which if you're not familiar with that, look it up. It's kind of like a, a type of illegal lottery. It's really kind of fascinating to read about. Uh, but he was part of that. He helped her out. And he was only nine years old at the time. So that's very early in uh, age, of course. Can't say that he really had any control over that his mom was doing that as opposed to working and working another job doing what she could to make ends meet because his father was no longer in the picture uh he, his father left uh, but with with his mother he, she she while she was trying to do the best that she could she also sent him to a private catholic school and uh, he attended elementary school at a private school and was expelled several times i don't know how you get expelled several times from one school because i always thought once you get expelled it means you're you're out out but he uh, was expelled at least three times from the same catholic school for causing trouble uh not criminal per se but he showed early signs of not being the most stand up and uh the best kid that may preview what he would later do uh in adulthood so as we said you know he was in various bands you know he hung out early on i think with neil young and they were in a band together for quite a while he actually went to canada in 1964 um, because he did not want to be drafted and unfortunately um he formed a well not unfortunately well, but he, for he formed a band in canada apparently um the minor birds which i think is a really interesting name but that was so but Remember, keep in mind, though, he went to Canada because he actually enlisted when he was 16 years old in the United States military. And he enlisted as a reservist. And he fled to Canada when the United States uh, went to Vietnam and the Vietnam War broke out. Right. And he, d he didn't want to be sent into war, so he officially went AWOL by fleeing to Canada which is, of course, a felony in military court. And so he was a fugitive on the run when he started his musical career. Oh, okay, got it. So yeah. how was he avoiding... Oh, so he was avoiding being sent, but he was already... He wouldn't be drafted. Oh, he was a reservist, but so he could be drafted into the full-time military. Exactly. Got it. Okay, yes, fair enough. Yeah, so he essentially signed up to be a reservist, so that way he wouldn't be drafted, ultimately. But once the Vietnam War picked up, 
he could be moved up from being a reservist to full-time, like you just said. Got it. So, <clears throat> again, as we said, he formed the band The Minor Birds, and they got a recording deal with Motown Records in 1966. Um, that means that he was 22 years old. And as you said, Brittany, his, his career had to be halted a bit because he had to go deal with his um, one-year prison term that he um, received for the draft charges. So he, after he was released, he left uh, New York, and then he moved to California, where he, he really ultimately started a, a rock and a funk group uh, or multiple groups in the 60s and 70s. So he, this was where he really formed you know, what we know to be Rick James. Before he really was – and he started the band, Stone City Band, and before he did that, he was really a rock and roll guy. He actually wasn't like a funk guy. He wasn't an R&B guy. He was really, you know, truly rock and roll. So when he started the Stone City Band, they, you know, I think they really found their stride. And, and they, they released the album, Come and Get It. That had um, that was in 1978 and had hits on it like You and I and Mary Jane. And uh, Mary Jane, of course, was about marijuana. And anybody who says that they didn't realize that that song wasn't about marijuana is bananas. <laughs> I think some of the record of labels. Well, the record labels are like, oh, well, we didn't even know. We thought he was talking about a lady. I'm like, no. Come on. Well, yes, because Rick James was really, really, um, you know, outward about his marijuana use he had like oh, yeah. giant like you know joints on the stage next to him uh-huh. there were times where he was threatened to be um you know essentially arrested because he had pot on stage and wouldn't stop uh-huh. smoking and you know he was and encouraged his concert goers to join him yeah and i was just watching Brittany. the uh i got my information from a variety of sources and some of which yep. i think that were meant to be comedic but i still oh yeah there were real interviews with rick james and whether he was kidding or not i think it right. gave some in, in, insight into his personality this one I was just watching was about uh, was the Charlie Murphy Dave Chappelle thing. Um, yep. and it was you know, I mean, really funny. But so I, you know, some of these things that seem too weird to be true, I think were actually true because when you're working at that level, I mean, he was friends with Eddie Murphy. He was friends with Stevie Wonder. I think Stevie Wonder was the one who told him to call himself Rick James, and um, you know, he was because I, I think he was going by Ricky before that something, and and yeah, he, and I think Stevie Wonder was right. You know, he yeah. Rick James spent a lot of time with a lot of important people. He, um, you know, he, he <laughs> I mean, <sighs> he was a very, very famous man. And if you watch any of the interviews with him, he knew it. I mean, you know, he really expected everybody to know who he was. He had a lot of stage presence, we'll call it. And, um, you know, he hung with some very famous people. He dated Linda Blair for a couple of years, which I think is a really interesting, weird I thought that so I thought that too and yeah they uh she actually got pregnant by his child yeah uh, which he was really sad about because I know she did not have that child and so he was really sad that he didn't know at the time Um, but they were together for a year or two so that's a substantial amount of time it wasn't in Uh passing no Um, but you know this was him I mean if you another source that I I took a lot of information from and I thought was really insightful and um Thoughtful, actually, was Tales from the Tour Bus, the Mike Judge show, where he takes audio um, in some live action interviews and he 
animate. He puts it to animation, <laughs> and it is so good because it is. It's good. It's so good. I mean, there's there are a lot of episodes about country singers and things like that, but there's the second season is where he gets into more you know R and B and funk and broadens it a bit, and um, he does a two parter episode about Rick James, and a large part of the second you know the second part is about Rick James and his um contentious relationship with Prince. So, I want to talk about that a bit because I love I know you do. Prince. So I know, I know. There was a time, uh, remember, where, you know, Rick James was on the top of the world and he Well, hang before before we get into Prince. Yes. I think I think we're jumping over a, a few things that um are maybe indicative of his his criminal past oh so sure well i mean through this entire situation through this his entire life we know that he did a lot of drugs so if that's what you're referring to but if there are other crimes that's not that's not what i'm referring to because that's not what i'm referring to i think that consistently we can all agree and rick james will be the first to tell us that he did a lot of drugs throughout his life um cocaine is a powerful drug and marijuana is awesome and i wouldn't be surprised if he smoked pot a lot just to kind of regulate himself but um he did a lot of lot of drugs he was on drugs a lot Drugs is like, in my opinion, so minor in comparison, uh, because yeah, he. Uh, I mean, just to just to touch on it, at one point he said he was he spent like seven thousand dollars a week for five years on cocaine, and uh, his tour bus was like a cloud of marijuana smoke all the time. Uh, but regardless of that part of it, he uh, you you mentioned, which is so totally true, how he is such a you know he. He knew his fame. He thought a lot of himself. He kind of he felt like he was on top of the world, and to a certain extent, he really was. Like he yes. was the he was the king of funk at you know in the late seventies, early eighties. Yes, he was the pioneer for all of this, and he had some really powerful and influential friends. But to your point previously about Stevie Wonder, how he um you know he's the one that essentially told him to call himself Rick James. He went through a few different names. Before he settled on Rick James, mm-hmm. because he first was convicted of being a draft dodger for going AWOL in the military, and he spent a year in military prison. Then he was arrested again for a second military charge, but was able to get uh, essentially get off on that charge because he knew someone in it. And at the time, before he even moved to Los Angeles, he was trying to go to Motown and Motown was very interested in him, but because of his past with the military and the stuff that he got into as a kid, Motown didn't want anything to do with him. So he actually changed his name two or three times before he settled on Rick James. So even though he was very confident and powerful and he knew he was so famous, there was, I still think this other side to him that he was, he was constantly running from his past because of all the things that he left in his wake. Well, sort of. I mean, I think that there's a point where it didn't matter what happened in his past because he was Rick James. I mean, once I think it got to that point. Definitely. I mean, and that it got to that point rather quickly. I mean, Rick James was pretty famous pretty quick in his life. You know, he, he was, um, he achieved fame at a young age. You know, he, again, he was in a musician. He was in, in bands when he was a teenager. So he knew this area very well. He signed with Motown and at the age of 22, 
So he, yeah, that's super he, young. Yeah, he was already there. Like he he went from zero to sixty, and I and that is a tough one for someone who's doing drugs because it's awfully hard for you sure. to regulate when you don't have events like significant events happening in your life. But even if you're the events in your life are you know good, positive or negative, traumatic events are really. Um, hard for people who have drug addictions um they're triggers you know so even the best situations can trigger a drug addict into you know a spiral but um yeah he 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 definitely realized and he definitely understood that he had to make some changes and to get around things to get where he wanted to go but he always was you know i think that he was dead set that he was going to be famous and successful in his life no matter what he had to do i think that's probably true and uh one of the things that Uh, I don't know if you plan on coming back to it or not, but that you mentioned to me and I I looked up a little bit was his loose connection with the Manson family also. Well, it wasn't the Manson family he had a connection with. It was the uh, Sharon Tate family because he, Rick James was friends with uh, Jay Sebring. Okay. And Rick James was supposed to be at the house. He was supposed to be at the Sharon Tate home with Jay Sebring the night of the Manson murders. But uh, apparently he got screwed up. Um, Shockingly, he did some drugs and whatever happened. And he didn't Yeah, he was too messed up to go. Yeah, which sounds like that that happened on um, pretty frequently. You know, but again, you've got these really powerful people as we know in Hollywood and in music and whatever and they just there's no um you know they're not held to the same standard that the rest of us are because if this one had been a regular person they would have kicked him to the curb um of course. you know and his friends I think kept him safe too he was very good friends with um Eddie Murphy he again oh, yeah. Smokey Robinson he uh <laughs> he was the one so I want to go back because yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the Rick James and sort of his, you know, progression. And I think that's where we go back and talk about Prince because there was a time where Rick James was on tour, very popular and Prince was just coming out. And so this would have been around the, Mm -hmm. the, this would have been in the seventies and you know, Rick James really saw himself as, as an iconic figure and uh, an actual, he really saw himself as an important African-American figure. And he really thought it was important that, you know, he get, you know, sort of the credit for that. He, he had somehow or another had seen um, Prince and he asked Prince and he asked another, I think another band to come on tour with him. Um, and I think maybe it was uh the other band that was on tour, I forget who it was, but it was somebody else that he had to come on tour with him. Um, shoot, was it not Sheila E? We'll figure that one out later. Rick James asked mm-hmm. Prince to go on tour with him. Um, yep. You know, all, that's fantastic for Prince because he gets all this exposure and um, he, you know, of course kills it because he's Prince. Now Rick James starts getting uh, jealous of Prince and starts, and rem- you got to remember, let's step t- back for a second here. Um the Rick James band, the Stone City band, this was a band of five or six, I don't recall, six foot tall or over <laughs> yeah. black men with right. giant <laughs> braids. And he asked his band to wear those braids, and they finally agreed because he said that he wanted them all to look like warriors. So, you know, I think that it's important to understand that he realized pretty early on that his 
performance and the way he looked and the way he conveyed himself was important for him as as an African American African American man. And it was a powerful statement that he was trying to make. He wanted some recognition. You know, he wanted to be respected. And I think he was respected for his music, certainly. He did some some really great things. So again, Prince goes on tour with him. Then Prince and Rick James start getting into this competition. You know, they Again, Rick James feels threatened by this. So Prince, Prince, in my opinion, is fantastic. And I, yes. and, and I'm sorry, Rick James, but I feel like Prince is far more, you know, uh, you know, talented. Let's just say, yeah, and I has, agree. His body totally of work agree. was much better, and it's probably because yes. he was not as focused on these other distractions that Rick James was. Right. So Prince started a side band um, with his friend Morris Day called the Time. And then so did Rick James. Rick started a side band to compete with them, but his side band was called like the Do Rags or something, which is a yes, that's exactly what it was. Name it and, is um, horrible. And then Prince started a girls band, which was Vanity Six. So in turn, Rick James starts uh, a girls band called the Mary Jane Girls. And the yep. Mary Jane Girls, those they, they were successful. Um, that was Joanne. I don't recall her last name, but I thought I really liked the Mary Jane Girls. I liked a couple of their songs. I thought they were kind of awesome. That was very popular like the Miami club scene and like the the early 90s um you know the Mary Jane girls and the Tina Marie was also um a big supporter of Rick James and he wrote songs for her. he wrote multiple songs for her he wrote a couple of songs for the Temptations and then also Smokey Robinson so you know he he could do good things when he put his mind to it the part that I thought was really interesting was and you know, for a lot of reasons, was his relationship with Eddie Murphy. Because as you can, if I would highly suggest watching the Charlie Murphy tales from the, you know, whatever tales uh, from Hollywood, e true Hollywood, e true Hollywood story yeah. on Chappelle show. It's fantastic. Watch it really that. is good, and because that, I feel like that that's a the re, a realistic view of what Eddie Murphy's relationship with with Rick James was. You know, and. Rick James went so far as to write and produce that god awful song that Eddie Murphy um, actually performed, "Party All the Time," which we, uh-huh. if you remember this song, if you don't remember this song, look it up. It's amazing. Rick James is in the video. It is. I watched the video last night. God awful. Like I, <laughs> it's I, so bad. Oh my god, the song is god awful. I don't care about the video, but yeah, no, I know the song's terrible. Eddie Murphy. Um, I love Eddie Murphy. I think he's incredibly funny, but man, he needs to not not foray into a musical whatever but party party all the time was rick james's attempt to have a party song in response to prince's party like it's 1999 yes absolutely everything that that you know rick james was doing after he met prince was in response to prince and his success the other thing that you have to remember about prince and also michael jackson and rick james was that rick james was really offended this right around the time where mtv came out and um you know they rick mtv wouldn't play rick james's videos and mtv will say well they were too vulgar they were offensive and some might say that they were but they would play prince and they would play michael jackson now it's hard not to play prince and michael jackson because they're so freaking popular but the other thing is that prince had a movie prince had purple rain people mm-hmm. wanted to see mm-hmm. prince and i love that movie and i didn't find that movie offensive at all i mean i i i'm not saying prince is a good actor you know and under the <laughs> under the cherry moon was another oof. but 
I don't care because I really like watching Prince. So there was something about his personality. And I always felt that there was an innocence to Prince. And I always thought there was. Um, sure, you I know, agree. I don't ever feel like that he was a person who, in my opinion, sort of promoted violence. And um, he was honestly, I thought that he was just kind of like this kind of funk, funky, like, you know, romantic hippie guy. You know, I mean, he was um, I don't know. Anyway, I just I, I, I'm endeared to him for sure. Um, but. It, very interesting, you know, that Rick James was uh, very pissed. He was pissed off at Prince and Michael Jackson. He's like, look, you know, the there's you guys shouldn't be on MTV. You know, you should be supporting your fellow black man and boycotting it because they won't play my videos. And um, apparently Prince and Michael Jackson did not agree with that. But, you know... Uh, there's probably some truth across the board to all the different different challenges. Let's just say because Prince wasn't an easy or a Prince, uh, Rick James was an easy easy guy to get along with, and he was very, you know, open and he didn't say, um, you know, he wasn't slick, you know, when he talked. I mean, he would call out anybody. He just, I think it was a little different than what MTV really wanted to be promoting, you know, from that side. So it was it was a bummer. But uh, there's some good interviews, even in the Tales from the Tour Bus, with the Mike Dutch thing. There's some cool interviews where Rick James talks about that with the the issues with MTV. It's worth a watch, um, you know. But the Prince thing and the Rick James, obviously Prince went on to do great things, and Rick James um, sort of spiraled and sort of went downhill, um, you know, from there, in my opinion. What I what I took from it is in Tales from the Tour Bus, they show, which I believe is probably totally accurate, when Prince was opening for Rick James, Rick James would stand on the side of the stage and watch Prince. And then when Rick James was performing, Prince would stand on the opposite side of the stage and watch Rick James. And they pushed each other and they motivated each other. And what I took from that is Prince took that as he's pushing me to another level to succeed and I'm going to step up to that level. But I took that Rick James looked at Prince as this guy is encroaching in my, on my fame and he's a threat. And instead of using it to motivate himself, he actually started down more of a downward spiral. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was the incumbent. So that's Prince, you know, Prince was the up and comer. So that's that's the natural progression, I think. Um, it was hard for Rick James. You know, he fell out of favor. He upset a lot of people. Again, MTV did not you know sort of promote his videos and um he continued to do a lot of drugs um his it's his mainstream success ultimately peaked in around 1985 he released an album called glow and then apparently he was on a team which i was not aware of uh and i was on the show a team i do know the show a team and i'm not interested in watching any of i don't think i ever watched it yeah, I didn't know he was on that show. That's interesting. Yeah, it sounds like he made an appearance, and I don't know why that would be like a stellar moment in his career, but maybe I, it was the beginning know. of the end. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and okay. then remember, here's what's important. Remember about Rick James that a lot of people forget. First off, Rick James never won any Grammys for any any songs that he produced um, and released on his own. He did, however, win a Grammy with MC Hammer when MC mm -hmm. Hammer sampled Super Freak. So probably yeah. the best thing that could have ever happened to Rick James was when MC Hammer did that. It was really important. And I also thought it was really important that MC Hammer give Rick James credit for that because so many times these days people are sampling and stealing and they just, um, nothing ever happens. And you go to court forever. I mean, look what happened with Vanilla Ice. You know, mm -hmm. these 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 freaking trials play out forever and they go on and on and everybody loses. So I thought that was really great, um, you know, that, 
that MC Hammer was, you know, able to allow that to happen. And then in the 1990s, um, it sounds like this is when Rick James's career really went off the rails. He, the beginning of the end, in my opinion, he had legal issues. Uh, apparently, he was convicted of two separate instances. So he was convicted of for two separate instances of kidnapping and torturing two separate women while under the influence of crack cocaine. And he actually served three years um, for that. Now, let's talk a little bit about that because yes, I I am going to I, – I, I tried to find information about this case. And what I found, which, Brittany, I told you, was that it seems like that the, these, these crimes that he committed were sort of the side note to, you know – even this article that I read, which I'm going to refer to, it was written in um, – it was published in the Los Angeles Times. It was written by Aaron Curtis and Jack Cheevers, and it was from August 3rd, yes. 1991. And the headline reads, Singer Rick James, girlfriend arrested on charges of torturing woman. Crime. The couple rep- allegedly burned the victim with a crack cocaine pipe and sexually abused her. So, okay, that's an interesting headline. Um, the – What's really – I don't think that it's fair to just sort of glaze over that. I think it's really, um, in my opinion, a bit offensive. And it sounds like that this was may have been typical behavior for Rick James, um, but it was sort of looked over. And I'm not going to equate Rick James to um, R. Kelly per se because I think that was a lot more criminal what R. Kelly used to do. But I think that there were things that probably happened in Rick James' life that – others would think back on and think that they probably should have done something or what he was doing was illegal. I think that he had another woman come forward that said that he raped her when she was in a boarding school or in a school in Buffalo. Yep. We'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah. And that happened early on in in the seventies. So the crime that Rick James was convicted of with his girlfriend, apparently she was 23 or 24. Um, She She was 21 at the time. 21, and they were at his house in the Hollywood Hills. And essentially, he was arrested for imprisoning and torturing this 24-year-old woman with a hot cocaine pipe over three days. Uh, The actual crimes that he was convicted of were, um, let's see, Uh, suspicion of assault, the deadly weapon, false imprisonment, forced oral copulation, Yep. Making terrorist threats and furnishing narcotics to this 24-year-old woman. Apparently, this, this, was, not the, this was not the first incident. Um, there was also um, some, some, uh, key, something brought against him for doing something similar to a music executive, a young music executive. So he, uh, I think, it, so he was, he held her captive for three days and... Ultimately, I think the suspicion turned out to be accurate. You know, he drugged her. He uh, forced her to do sex acts on his girlfriend, uh, Tanya. His Tanya Hijazi. Hijazi. Thank you. Yeah, uh, and uh, of course, false imprisonment. Oh, oh strange. I, I found this to be a really strange crime because what. I guess what do you get out of any crime? But holding someone for three days, forcing drugs on them, and forcing them to pr- perform sex acts on your girlfriend. I mean, what is the what was the point of that? What drove him to that? That's what I don't understand. Like, I, was it just such a bad high? Was it such a drug-induced motivation? 
that's what I don't understand. Well, here's what I think that let's just call it what it is. This was in the time where Rick James's career was waning. If this would have happened in the height of his career, this wouldn't have been a crime. And I can guarantee you that this probably happened frequently, you know, where, I mean, that's what it looks like to me. They, he would be with multiple women. Um, he would do whatever he wanted, you know, you know, get over here, bitch. I'm Rick James or whatever. Yes. So he had a history of this. I think that it was just this moment was, you know, uh, this this somebody came forward and finally said you know enough with it i for so so let's go a little so you bit think deep- this so you think before we go deeper so you think that essentially this was this was a pattern he had done this many times before yes but he got caught because his level of fame was dwindling and maybe this person felt more comfortable coming forward or maybe this person was now believed because he wasn't as famous and untouchable as he was previously. Absolutely. This would have been covered okay. up. Okay. So here's the, the, the way this went down was that James, Rick James and his girlfriend, Tanya Hajazi were, um, they met up with this girl, this 24 year old woman. Um, apparently she was unemployed. They met her at a party and they're like, Hey, you know, come and stay with us at the big Hollywood Hills house, you know, with Rick James. Awesome. So, you know, again, you know, luring her in. He threatened her with a gun. He told her that he would kill her if she tried to leave. Uh, He and Tanya Hajazi tied her up and severely burned her um, 20 times or so with a hot crack pipe. Um, And then he, like you said, he forced the victim to essentially, you know, give oral whatever to Hijazi um, while he watched. Again, this would be typical behavior for Rick James. This is something that would happen probably on tour like five times a week. Um, And then they smoke crack and then they force the victim to as well. And then the girl just wanders out of the house, somehow makes her way to um, the hospital, and then the hospital called the police. So she didn't call the police. The hospital did. Right, makes sense. Yep. Okay. So, if the hospital wouldn't have called the police, there's it. There's it's unlikely that Rick James would have ever had any issues with this. But I probably true for something. Now, yeah. What what I think happened again? You know, I think this was typical behavior for Rick James. This is typical for someone who has this kind of power. Is that they're going to tell people to do whatever they want them to do, and in that moment, those people feel overpowered, and because they're trying to please this famous person or whatever, they'll do whatever they want. We've seen this time and time again with a variety of different people in power. Um, you know, I would say Michael Jackson would probably fall into this category where they were untouchable and they had enough money to quiet people and buy people off and, you know, keep people from coming forward because they would, those Definitely. people would be not punished, but they would lose their career or they would lose, they would fall out of favor with these people. So I do think it was a similar situation. I think Rick James had, I mean, when you're doing crack, I guess, you know, I mean, I don't know, you're not not in your right mind anyway, but to be a person who was doing that kind of drug or those kinds of drugs, many drugs, and to have this all-powerful feeling, you know, you're untouchable. You can do whatever you want. I mean, you are, are, are the king of the world. And I think that cocaine just makes that feeling much more, um, you know, probably prominent. So again, you know, you're untouchable. I, 
I, I, I think this was probably common for Rick James. I think that he just had an unwilling participant or he had a willing participant who went to the hospital and the, the hospital, you know, made a big deal out of it. But and Rick well, James wasn't powerful anymore or powerful enough to, to sort of get get away from this kind of thing. I bet in back in the day when he was powerful, I guarantee his record label or any of his powerful fans would have probably cut had this resolved quickly. He would have just got dismissed and nobody would have said anything about it. It would have been a misunderstanding. And that's very possible. And at this point, he probably, while he was still famous in 1991, he was certainly not at the peak of his fame. And maybe he didn't have the proper resources to buy this person off. Uh, and he, uh, at, he was no longer Rick James, the superstar who had all these resources available to him. Uh, and, and I think that actually, if you go back and again, as crazy as it sounds, watch that Chappelle show episode. It'll speak to the people that he upset over his life that maybe at one time would have stood up for him and helped him hide and cover these things up. No longer wanted to do that for him. And he didn't have that anymore. Well, he couldn't, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't put themselves at risk with his behavior anymore. And I think that's ultimately what it was. I think that, um, you know, again, I would say take a look at Tales from the Tour Bus. And I say that in a, I mean, I, I watched that. That I know it was a comedy. I love Mike Judge. But I felt really, I thought that the guys in the, from the band who were, you know, interviewed, I mean, they were funny as hell. These guys, these were old, like, salty, you know, like, R&B guys, like, funk guys. I mean, they got it. They, um, you know, but they, they just really struggled with it because he was their guy, right? He was the lead uh, singer of their band. He was their, their, you know, powerful leader. And ultimately you know he fell apart and he didn't try to take them with him but they could never no. get back together and the band could never be successful without him so right it just led to failure it was really a bummer but they talked about him thoughtfully and they talked about him as um in a way that you know suggested that he had some demons that he was dealing with for his entire life and he didn't know any other way to sort of you know sort of execute um, on you know his his behavior, but I'm not as dismissive because I don't I don't look I don't care how famous you are I don't think you should be allowed to rate people and I don't of think that there's not. there's no you know way that you can tell me that there's any difference it's like you know I mean just because you're famous no, oh, like, no, you no, know, no. oh it's a suggestion or oh it was consensual not really no I no, mean it's not even worth entertaining that idea because it's so despicable to think that someone might think that it's okay well it happens all the time I mean I, I know it's I mean, pathetic watch like if any big rock and roll band like these people that's how they they operate you know i mean i'm not going to say that every you know musician out there in the world is a rapist but we know i mean if you know anybody who's ever been a part of those groups um and i knew know some of those people you know they they take advantage of situations and people because they have the power to do so and then they get used to that kind of thing and um it's becomes normal for them and it also 
I have to say it desensitizes them to what's normal and it makes them want more of it. Like they can't be satisfied with normal anymore. They have to have this over the top behavior because they're yeah. so um, bored, honestly, with normal behavior. I don't think Rick James could have had a normal relationship, to be quite honest with you. I think he needed this kind of of um, sort of he needed that excitement. He found it exciting. Yeah. It was despicable, disgusting, awful. And it's. I, I agree. And, you know, he says in that Chappelle show episode, he says cocaine is a powerful drug. But I think to your point, fame is a powerful drug. Well, that's what drove him. And that's what drives so many people like you're referring to. Yeah, it definitely. And I think I, I, Chris Rock said it one time and I thought it was really interesting, um, you know, but he talks about um, infidelity in one of his like stand up shows. Yeah. And he says, sure. look. You know, when you're famous, you know, you are you are only as faithful as your options. And if you've got all the options in the world, you're going to take advantage of those. You know, there's nobody, you know, he, he makes fun of it. But he's like, there's no like, you know, nerdy white dude in the corner without any options saying, you know, he's going to take advantage of women because he just doesn't have the option to do so. But when you have the world on your on a platter and there are no repercussions for your actions, it is awfully hard to manage yourself if you don't have that moral construct from a young child honestly I mean and that's for a lot of reasons economic Rudrick James um, his mom sort of gave him that modeling and in it's a bad situation to be in but I don't think that he was ever in a situation to ever understand that it could be different going back to Rick James Let's remember that this was a person who was addicted to drugs for absolutely many, many, many years. Oh, yeah. Early on in his life. So pretty much his entire life. Yeah. So I think we're expecting a lot of a person who has that kind of addiction to be able to correct themselves. Just it's really not possible. I mean, they have a hard enough time just managing their daily, you know, feelings and their daily life and those triggers with positive triggers or negative triggers triggers are triggers and they will send these people into a spiral so it's um i'm not surprising that rick james got there considering the path that he took but it's disappointing and it, it bums me out because i did appreciate his music and i did really feel like that he was an innovator um but i i wish that he could have been able to get a handle on himself and use that for something more positive um instead oh, of, of you know sort of going down this road and ultimately he passed yeah. away of a heart attack i mean it's he, very sad yeah so um so if we can step backwards again to uh we, we talked about the crime the three-day imprisonment he was arrested along with his girlfriend tanya hijazi uh they were released on a half a million dollars bond pending trial and while they were uh, free on bond they did this again to a music executive in 1993 while they were awaiting trial uh, and, and held her for 20 hours this time. But pretty much it was the same set of circumstances. To come to what you were talking about before, this wasn't a one-time thing. This was a pattern. This was regular how he operated and yes, it this only is normal really, this is what he, this, i'm guaranteed this was a totally normal thing for yes. him to do yes uh, and he was rearrested on this charge thankfully and ultimately found guilty on both charges and he faced life in prison for false imprisonment but somehow i don't understand this he was found not guilty of that charge but was 
guilty of other charges. Uh, so he served two years in prison. And while he was in prison, the second woman, who uh, the, the music executive, Mary Sauger, uh, she received a uh, $2 million civil suit payout from Rick James' estate, and uh, then an additional $750,000 from a private security firm and the hotel where she was held captive. They must have not had enough to prove that he held her. Hmm, interesting. Against her will or something. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, it gets tough because you've, again... Wait, hang on a second, hang on a second. Let me rephrase. I I, I guess I, I got that backwards. He was he was found guilty of false imprisonment. He was found not guilty of torture. And torture was the charge that could have put him away for life. Interesting. Yeah, I... Um, wow. Well, he got out and he did a he did. couple more things when he got out and he ultimately passed away, right? Yeah, he... Uh, in... Honestly, what is what I found really kind of interesting, um, you know, he had these charges. He did some time in prison. I don't think it was enough, but he tried to make a comeback. He was featured on Chappelle's show, which for an entire generation, that's how people know of Rick James. And he was planning a comeback tour. Very similar to Michael Jackson was planning his comeback tour when he died. And in, uh, as you said, he, Rick James ultimately died of a heart attack in 2004. Therefore, his really last stint of fame was Chappelle's show. And he was never able to regain the level of prominence or reputation of, uh, in music that he, I think, always strived to achieve, but he never got the level of respect that he felt he deserved. Yeah, I, uh, hmm, that's sad. All righty. Well, there you go. I, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I don't, because I, I just feel that he's, you know, he, uh, I don't feel sad for him. I don't think he was, I think he was a very talented guy. I think that he was a great artist. He worked with, you know, a lot of the people you talked about. One of the ones I found most fascinating was Neil Young uh, and tried to collaborate with Crosby, Stills, Young, and Nash, but that ended up not happening. But he never, he, he wanted to that level of Michael Jackson and Prince fame, but he never got it. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I think his actions sort of didn't, you know, sort of go there. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would agree with him that he deserved that kind of fame. I don't think it, I, I don't agree that he did. I didn't think he was nearly as talented as they were. Yeah, which is sad. And again, you know, back to a drug addiction. Maybe he wasn't because he just couldn't overcome that addiction. So we will never yeah. know. But, uh, you know, an interesting case, to say the least, uh, Scarletto's. I know that um, a lot of people sort of forget sometimes about the Rick James crimes. And I, I'm glad we could talk about them, Brittany. But the other parts yeah. of it where we talk about Prince and, and the history, you know, again, 
I would highly suggest going back and look at the that the the Chappelle show and the Tales from the Tour Bus. Again, you know, Wikipedia actually has some really good information about Rick James that I thought was interesting as well. And then there's a yeah, ton definitely. of stuff on YouTube where you can watch interviews with Rick James talk about MTV. So um, I would strongly suggest it. But, you know, again, I, I'm sad to see the downfall of people who have drug problems. And, um, you know, it's a good example of how it's just almost impossible to overcome. It's terribly sad. I was really surprised when I started researching this because you suggested this topic. Uh, and I, I think I mentioned at the start of our episode here that I didn't realize all of the things that he was into. And unfortunately, I think we probably only scratched the surface of all the things that he did that just weren't reported. Uh, you know, two other quick things to wrap this up. In 1998, he was accused of a third rape, but those charges were later dropped after he was out of prison. And earlier this year, in February of 2020, his estate was sued by a woman who suggested that he raped her, as you mentioned earlier, in Buffalo when uh, I think she was 15 years old in 1978. So, unfortunately, these uh, these charges, they keep popping up even over 15 years after his death, and we're learning more about the guy and uh, who, in my opinion, really only had two hit songs but tried to leave a legacy, and his legacy is turning out to be more criminal and sordid rather than musical. Okay, we're going to wrap this episode up. Um, everyone out there, stay healthy. Keep social distancing. I know it's a tough time right now. I know it's hard to stay home when the weather's starting to get nice. Uh, but we're trying to protect each other. Stay healthy. Thank you to all of our first responders. Thanks to all of the uh, healthcare workers. Sonia, anything else? Nope. Looking nope. forward to uh, the release in this episode. So stay tuned. All right. Um, well, shout out to everyone in the Pod All the Time Podcast Network. We're glad to be part of you guys. We are the Ladies of Scarlet. Keep killing it. Later, Scarlettos. Bye.